everybody, and welcome back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul, and I am your host, as is per usual. Today, uh, from the wilds of Virginia, I have Rob Huddleston. Huddleston. See, now I screwed it up after I practiced it right before I came in. Sorry, Rob. Welcome to the show. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, let's... You're in the band Ann Beretta, or you are the driving force behind Ann Beretta, I guess is the way that I'll say say that. Let's start with the name. Does it does it mean anything? Is there an Ann um, Beretta? It, it it doesn't mean anything, but the idea was that there could be. So the the short version of the story, back in 1996 when we started the band, um, all of the original members of the band, we were coming out of other bands that had recently split up. Right. And so we were already, those bands were already pretty well established. Um, myself and, and one of the other guys, we were just sitting in our local club, uh, club called Twisters. And the promoter came up to us and was like, I hear you've got a new band. And legitimately, or like quite literally, we were only a band for like two weeks, three weeks at this okay. time. He's like, Weston is coming to town next month. I need, I need someone to do main support. Can you guys play? And we were like, man, we've got songs, but we don't have a name. <laughs> and he was like, you're not leaving here until you have a name. And just started slinging <laughs> pitchers of beer our way. So, um, so we sat for a couple hours drinking beers. We just threw out a bunch of names. We, we started playing with this concept. I, I really wanted to do something. I wanted to come up with a name that we could create something more than just music out of. Okay. And so we started playing around with like, names of people and, and stuff, you know, I was thinking like, it'd be cool if like this band name could become a character, maybe a comic okay, book, maybe, yeah. a, maybe something like that. And there was, I remember there was a flyer on the wall in front of us behind the bar that was for a band called Picasso Trigger. And we were like, that sounds cool. Like there's something there with like a gun, like, can we do a name and a gun? And uh, we we're like, it's gotta be a girl's name. And so I don't even know where Anne came from. Um, but then, and then we were like, okay, well, what would sound cool with, with Anne? And, um, you know, this is pre-internet, pre-smartphone. Right. So we were just kind of throwing shit out there. And suddenly it was like, I don't know, Ann Beretta, what about that? And we were just like, it just clicked. And we were all like, oh, that sounds cool. We can do something with that. Um, and so that, that was it. That was quite literally, you know, we were put on the spot. You have to have a name. I need to put you on a flyer for the show. And you did it. Even here until you, you come up with one. And, and it just stuck. Um, there was a version of the band, myself and the drummer, Russ, were in a band called Inquisition before um, this one. And we started a side project band at one point and named, we only played like two or three shows, but um, we called that band, we named that band after a Julian Cope record called Peggy Suicide. So that I think was kind of the inspiration of like a creating a character yeah, and yeah. creating a, girl's name and making a character out of it. So I think it, it was kind of a transition from that. Um, I don't know why we didn't just want to keep that name. Um, I think because it was already a record, you know, title by, by a well-established artist, we decided it was not a good idea to keep that. Um, but that was kind of the start of it. Did you have any of the classic Pink Floyd, uh, which, which one is Anne or why, why is there not a female showing up at our club in Albuquerque? Um, no, we never, we never really did get that. Um, interestingly enough, we had for years, no one could spell our name, right? There was always like an extra R or one too many T's or yeah. something like that. Or an and with an E. Um, 
but yeah, no one, no one ever really questioned why there was no girl in the band. No, no one named Anne in the band. Yeah. All right, cool. So when I described you as sort of the driving force of the band, you hedged, you hedged a bit. I don't know if the listeners caught that. Um, so is that not accurate, or how do you think about Anne Beretta after all this time since 1996? Yeah, um, I mean, I've always so. We originally started out as a four piece and myself and, and one of the other members were like the primary songwriters and we would sing whatever parts of the songs we wrote and a lot of the songs we would co-write together and, you know, he would sing a verse and I would sing the chorus or vice versa. Um, but when when he left the band in 99, I believe it was, um, I just became the primary songwriter. And so I think... I don't like to refer to it as my band. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I fully view it as a collective. Everyone contributes to, you know, the songs have always been written kind of in a live setting. You know, it's just an idea will come in or I'll, I'll start something on, you know, an acoustic guitar probably sitting in my house somewhere and then bring that to practice. And then we would just evolve the song from that point forward. But I think, you know, I'm the front man of the band and I, I tend to deal with a lot of the business and a lot of the, you know, kind of day-to-day kind of workings of the band behind the scenes. So I, I guess, I guess it's fair to say I'm, I'm kind of the driving force behind it, but I don't treat it like, I, I don't consider it a solo project. I don't consider it like, like I said, my band, it's, right. it's a collective and, and the band has evolved as we've had, you know, various members kind of come and go. We were a three piece for many, many years. Um, we only recently, I guess, well, recently in the last decade added a fourth member, a second guitar player back. Um, but everyone brings their own, thing to the dynamic and, and to the band. So I, I, I truly just believe it's a, it's a collective. In the pre-internet days, how, how hard was it to get your material out there? So one of the things we've been talking about a lot on the podcast is the idea of low barrier to entry right now, right? So if you have a computer, you can write a song and you can put it on SoundCloud or you can get it on Spotify and everybody can do that. And so the noise level rises exponentially every day, every week, and it's hard to break through that. But back then there wasn't any of that. So what was the idea to, to break through and, and get your songs out there? Yeah, for us, it was, it was simple. It was touring. I mean, we, we toured nonstop, you know, I grew up as a teenager in a scene where, you know, there were shows every weekend, probably every night, maybe when I was too young, I just didn't realize that they happened every day, but, um, we're close to a college campus, you know, so, and our local club, same one twisters, they used to have Sunday matinees and a lot of them were free. So that's where all the punk kids started hanging out. Um, that's where I met all of my bandmates. That's where I met all of my best friends, friends I still have. You know, that's where I found all of my favorite bands. You know, I can remember seeing bands like The Descendants for $5 or for free on a Sunday matinee. Bands like, you know, Avail when they moved to town. Bands like like Guar, even a a big Richmond band. But that was the way that we found music. You just, you found it by experiencing it live um, a lot of times. Or word of mouth from a friend, you know, who Mm -hmm. passed their record or a cassette to you. Um, So that was just kind of where we how we grew up and what we were used to other bands coming through our town. So when we started the band, it was just, it it was just a natural thing of, okay, let's play a few shows here in town. Now that we've made some friends with some other bands, Oh, they're going out of town. Can we tag along? And then, you know, things like book your own life for maximum rock and roll back in the day, or um, who was it? Um, Born against had their, they were touring and had a, 
a contact list that they would just publish and and people photocopied it and passed yeah. it around. Yeah. So it was very much a DIY ethic. You just book shows and made phone calls. We used phone callers. And if, if anyone remembers those, you know, you go to Radio Shack and buy a, a little kit that would mimic the sound of putting quarters into a phone. And we would just use pay phones. And uh, even when we were on tour, we were, we would spend the mornings, myself and one of the guys, we would spend the mornings booking shows for like the next tour or a month from now while we're, you know, Midwest somewhere, it didn't matter. We just pull over at a truck stop or whatever and start booking tours right. or booking shows. And that's just how we did it. We just felt live is the way to sell the music. And, you know, if people come and pay to see you play or they give a few bucks for it, at that time, we were just like making our own cassettes or pressing our own seven inches or whatever. So just a few dollars here and there was the best way to get the music out there. And it just felt like a very organic, natural way to do it. Like, that's just how it was done back then. Did you have an objective back then? Did you think, okay, <clears throat> we'll go on this tour and then we'll come back and we'll go to the studio and we'll do whatever. And eventually we'll be playing Madison Square Garden. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think anyone that starts a band that says otherwise is, is full <laughs> of it, you know, but I think for us, like the goals that we had, I, I think they always stayed the same, but the context of which they lived in changed, you know? So at first it was, wouldn't it be great if we played a show at this club local in our, in our hometown? And we did that check. Okay. Well, wouldn't it be great if we sold out that club and, you know, months later we're doing that check. Right. Okay. What if we played a show outside of town? You know, what if we sold out a club outside of town? What if we actually went on tour and played 40 shows in a row, things like that, you know? And then that just kind of evolved to like the venues would get bigger or, you know, the tours would get bigger or outside of your country or off the coast, whatever. So the, the goals just kind of evolved in scale, but they stayed pretty consistent. Just, right. you know, it was, it was always just about getting the music out and getting in front of people. When you signed a Fuel by Ramen and or Lookout, <clears throat> Lookout, of course, being, I think, the label that punk kids always were like, oh, man, I want to get on Lookout. So yeah. so when you did those things, did it feel like, OK, we made it now. We can get a bigger van or we can get a van that doesn't break down every five seconds. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, to like depending on the time, it that was that was another one of those goals. Like, let's put a record out. Well, what if someone else paid for us to put a record out? We got really lucky. Um, Tony Wine who um, puts on the fest in Gainesville every year. He was in a band. He grew up in Virginia. He um, was an old friend from a band called Swank. And I think when we started Ann Beretta, I sent him just a demo tape. You know, we just had a four track recording. We did probably in my basement, sent it to him. He was living in Florida at the time and he was working for Less Than Jake. Okay. And so Fuel by Ramen was started by Vinny, the drummer from Less Than Jake. And I think that we were only six months old at that time as a band and Vinny or Tony gives me a call saying, Hey, you know, Vinny wants to meet you. He's starting a label or he's got a label that he's just started and he's interested in putting a record out. And it just so happened that I think that year on the warp tour, there's like three or four bands. All of them had a member in the band who was starting a label. And I think Tony was just passing our cassette tape around, letting people listen to it. And suddenly I was getting like invited to the, you know, local warp tour that year with like four different guys from four different bands all wanting to meet and talk about putting a record out. But I think we made the right call. You know, we, we went with Fuel by Ramen. It was, they did so much for us at that time. Like they really, they really helped not only put our record out and kind of get us in front of a big, bigger audience. You know, we toured for years with less than Jake, probably like two solid years. Um, 
And so we learned a ton about just the business, about putting on a show, about what it meant to tour, what it meant to treat other bands when they're your support, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So it was just, a, it was like going to college for, you know, punk band or punk musician. You know? So it's pretty amazing. And Lookout was the same. You know, we had friends on that label by the time we were part of part of uh, the Lookout roster. I'd met some of the the people running the label, Chris Applegren. Um, I'd met him and a few others prior to us working with them. But that, of course, like you mentioned, like that was a label that I was a huge fan of all of those bands. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of those bands heavily influenced what we were doing and the, the music that we were writing and the sound that we were creating. And so as we started to tour more and put out, you know, records um, that did become a goal, like, man, wouldn't it be great if we could be on that label? And then as it happened, we were in the studio making our second record. It was supposed to be on fuel by ramen. We had every like intention of putting that record out with them. And Chris calls and asks if we'd be interested in doing a record. And I'm like, Oh man, we're kind of in a pinch right now. You, like we're in the studio making one. Um, and so that was a really, it was a hard decision to call up, you know, Vinny and, and John from fuel by and, and let them know that we had this offer and that we were, we really wanted it. We wanted to accept it, but we also didn't want to do, you know, do bad by right. fuel by. Right. Um, so that was, that was a interesting conversation. And I think, you know, we ended up recording enough songs to put out an EP with fuel by and the next okay. full length came out with on lookout, but um, it, it strained a few relationships, that decision, you know, admittedly for a few years um, with us and, and the guy and Vinny and, and John, but um, you know, time heals all things, right. you know, so we, we all kind of came back together. And I think again, Tony was the person kind of the voice of reason he was working at the label at that point. And he was like, guys, you have to understand, like, this is a dream of theirs to be on this label. Um, now hindsight being what it is a year after that fuel by blows up, you know, they've got fallout boy and panic at the disco. I think Jimmy eat world did a record with them, you know, years later, Paramore and stuff. So had we stayed on the label, would, would our story be different? Maybe who knows, you know, I, right. I, try not to dwell on those things, but, but of course you, you start to ask yourself those questions. So just kind of interesting dynamic and way that the, you know, things happen. They it, happen for a reason. It's, yes, yeah. And it's, it's hard to know what the right thing air quotes, what the right thing is to do, yeah. because in the moment, like you said, everybody wants to be on lookout. Right. And so a, a question there, you're, you get to be on lookout and you're going to put out a record with them. Um, is there any sense of we're not really peers still, even though we're on the label now, you know, how do you measure yourself against heroes of yours or bands that you looked up to? Yeah. What a good question. Um, I don't think that we, I don't think that ever really crossed our mind. I think there was so much excitement about being part of this bigger story, mm -hmm. this thing that was bigger than us. Um, but there was also this kind of, it was, there was bands like us, American steel, you know, the Donna's were really blowing up. Um, so it was kind of this second wave or maybe even third, depending on who you talk to of, of lookout bands. And we were kind of at the forefront of that. So we just, you know, that was kind of our, those were our peers and those were the bands that we toured with. You know, we, we toured with a bunch of other lookout bands like Mr. T experience and, and, you know, avail when they were on the label and stuff. But, um, but yeah, we just saw this kind of new coming of lookout as this, wave that we were part of riding and and those bands became our peers um you know it was years later probably that i 
met some of those, you know, I don't know if heroes is the right word, but some of those bands that I really looked up to and, right. and bands that um, were definitely an influence of ours. Right. Uh, cool. So I just want to segue here a little bit. Looking behind you, of yeah. course, this is not a a, a a video podcast, but there's a bunch of Star Wars stuff behind you. So yeah. is is the prequel trilogy better or worse than the newest trilogy? The prequel trilogy better or worse than the latest yeah. one? Yeah. Um, man, what a question. <laughs> you, got, you got a good question. I think I think I was more excited about the prequel trilogy when it came out, just right. because it was like, you never thought that was going to happen. But I, I tend to think the latest trilogy was better. Okay. All right. I mean, there was no Jar Jar Binks. It was, <laughs> I think both were flawed in their own ways, but um, I, yeah, I think the excitement level was higher for the prequel trilogy, but the, uh, I think that the quality of the movie and right. the storytelling is better for the, and the later ones. Last Star Wars question. What's your favorite Star Wars thing? Like from the TV shows or movie, what, what's your favorite? What do you think is the best? Um, best character or best storyline? Yeah. Best, best movie, best movie overall. Okay. Yeah. Um, or show. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, now you're going to totally stop me. What was it called? Um, the the movie I, I want what was it um I think it's the best one of of all of them truthfully um it's the one that takes place before New Hope so Rogue One Rogue One yeah. thank you yeah. that's I think that's one of the better stories and like that that for me tied so much together yeah. just the quality of that movie like as a standalone movie that one was yeah. epic I thought cool let's some talk of the new some of the new shows are are doing a pretty good job some of them some of the others not so much but yeah, right. I'm, I'm I mean, for for anyone listening, uh, Rob has a ton of Star Wars shit right behind him. Just a ton. That is, that is very true. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Richmond, Virginia. Uh, yeah. Why Why is Richmond, Virginia such a hotbed of music? Because I think Lamb of God, like if we're talking about metal stuff, yep. comes from there. Um, I always hear about Richmond as like a place, a cool place to play and lots of bands coming from there for a long period of time. It's not just yeah. a certain number of years. So, so why is that? I think it's a combination of things. I think first and foremost, it's, it's one of the biggest art schools, or at least it used to be in the country. So you've got a ton of just creative people mm -hmm. coming to this one place, this one city. Um, we're just, we're just two hours shy of DC. So at least at the time we were coming up, like in the mid nineties, you know, tons of just heavy influence coming out of DC, but we're, I think part of it too, we're centrally located on the East coast. Like we're like directly in the middle of the East coast. So the same amount of time that it would take us to drive from home to, you know, Richmond to New York city, mm -hmm. we could be in Savannah, Georgia or Jacksonville, Florida. You know, it's, it's almost equal distance from, Richmond to Boston as it is Richmond to Miami right, okay. or somewhere in Southern Florida. Yeah. So I think there's like the geography is, is part of that. The cost of living is even today is relatively, you know, significantly less than some of your big cities, your, you know, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago type of cities. Um, so I think it's just a combination of many things, you know, it's just a lot of creativity. There's a lot of different types of music here too, which is really great. Like right. it's got a great punk scene, but there's just a, just as great of a, you know, singer songwriter scene or a pop kind of rock scene like so, i mean you name it 
you know, we've got a pretty huge collection of bands here and, and a lot of them over the course of the years have made, made it Mm -hmm. to a pretty high level of success. Like, you know, there's, and that goes back pretty far. Like even growing up, I remember hearing Pat Benatar on the radio in the eighties and my dad telling me, you know, she's from here. She was actually from a little bit outside of Richmond, but, um, but she, she lived here for a while or like Amy Mann, you know, um, I think grew up here, grew up actually right down the street from where I live now. So, you know, it's, it's just, there's a long history of creativity. Um, even going back to the the seventies, like Bruce Springsteen, I didn't know this until just, you know, not too long ago. Um, Bruce Springsteen would travel to Richmond and do residencies at the same small bars and clubs that we grew up playing in. Um, and he, he would play like nightly for a month straight. And, you know, that's just part of the history in Richmond, music history. There's tons of, tons of great stuff here. Do the do the venues support younger bands? Are there places for for bands to go out and play? And is the scene supportive of each other? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, and the cool thing is, it's a lot of the a lot of the venues and the clubs that are still around, whether they're one hundred fifty capacity or a thousand capacity the people who are working there, the promoters have been working here in Richmond, promoting shows going back to the nineties. You know, a lot of them have been in it for a long time. Um, But Richmond is kind of going back to the culture, the creativity of it. There's a a ton of clubs. There's absolutely like, you could, you could play the bars, you could play the clubs. There's a whole house show community here. That's still, you know, really like thriving. There's, um, like tonight I'm going to see a friend Austin Lucas play and he's playing in a, you know, a, a restaurant called Cobra Cabana. Um, there's a lot of musicians and artists who have now started opening up venues or opening up a business that proxies as a venue, mm-hmm. you know, a record store that'll put on shows, right. a bar or a small restaurant that'll put on shows and, you know, in the back area, there's even a, um, a BMX bike shop here in town and they've turned in the back part of the shop into a, a small venue, like a DIY venue. So it's, it's like I said, just so much creativity here and so much support. So, and, and a lot of it, it, no one cares who you are, you know, how big or small your band is, you know, like at the end of the day, it's, you know, everyone's just out hanging out, having a good time. And so it's, you know, it's a pretty, um, pretty close knit community, but it's also very welcoming and um, supportive, whether you're local or you're coming from out of town. Right. Cool. Um, so I've, I've talked to Brian Forsyth, who is the guitar, who is the guitar player in kicks uh, a, a couple of times on this show. And they were a big band sort of, you know, they're a Maryland band, but, but, uh-huh. um, but they, but they're still pretty big. And one of the things we talked about was when they were big in the late eighties, he felt like it was never going to go away. You know, he felt like, you know, the ride just goes up and up and up. And then when it started to fall out, he really didn't know what to do with himself anymore, you know? So yeah. let, let's talk about that with, with you for a while. Cause now you're, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a similar ride, right? Yeah. I mean, we, um, yeah, that's, this is a really interesting topic. I think I've, I've had this conversation a few times with just friends recently. Um, so we stopped touring full time back in 2004 and we didn't, play shows for a few years actually you know we didn't know what the band like at that point we were just done Mm -hmm. um and there's many reasons for that like business financials um you know some of us were like myself were getting married and having kids and stuff and just adulthood started to settle in um 
the whole music industry was changing around that time too, with all the things like social media and such. Um, it wasn't until 2008 that we started playing just a couple of shows and we thought like, Oh, well, it'll be a reunion show. And, you know, then one became two or three and we just kind of got in a cycle of let's just, as long as we're having fun, keep doing it and we'll play three or four shows a year. And if, if that's all we do, that's totally cool. But to the point you were just mentioning, like, I definitely struggled like the, that first year, you know, we, we stopped touring in, like I said, 2004, I think for the next year. And I didn't really talk about it with anyone, but I mean, I was struggling. I didn't know who I was outside of this band. I went through like massive depression. I didn't pick up a guitar for a year. I immediately just felt I have to focus all my attention on something different. So I, I went back to school and got a second degree um, that I thought would help me get, you know, a traditional job or a more of a career oriented job. Um, but it was, it was miserable, man. Like I sounds like same, same kind of story. Like right. I just couldn't even figure out how to be in the same place, the same city for more than two days at a time, because we were, we were so accustomed, like we would tour 10 months out of the year. Right. Easy. Right. You know, I, I think at one point I, I did some math and I realized the first five years I was married, I was only home for 12 months and um, in total across right. the, you know five oh. years. And so, you know, you just like that much momentum when it stops, it's like hitting a brick wall. And you're like, I just don't know who I am right now. I don't know how to, like, I've been in the same house, the same city for a week now. What the fuck do I do? You know? And that was, that was a huge struggle, you know, trying, just trying to get past that. And it took me about a year. Um, and then, you know, at that point I, I started, picking up a guitar again and kind of writing some songs. And that's kind of where I leaned back into um, some more of the singer songwriter stuff and put out a solo record. But even that I called on the Ann Beretta guys, I called on my band to, to back me up and support me and help me write those songs and put out that record. And so we just found that as a way to like, let's keep playing music, keep being creative, but we'll do a different type of music and we'll do it under a different name. Um, but it was, it was all the same people. All right. How did you get from there to old scars, new blood? Um, yeah, that was a really fun record to make. Um, we, we had talked to, for a couple of years, like, you know, I was, I was trying to write new songs as, so I just mentioned like the singer songwriter stuff and we were playing shows doing that, um, type of music or, you know, doing something a little more country folky kind of, you know. So uh, just as an aside here, I have a theory, like old punk rock guys either go country or they go jazz, right? I think like that's just kind of what happens. It's the rare punk rock guy that just stays punk rock forever and ever and ever, right? Because you, you yeah. evolve and those are the two paths. And so you went the singer songwritery country thing. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, but after after doing that for a few years, you know, the, we just all got real itchy. We, we, we wanted to like there was a itch we had to scratch. We, we were like, okay, this is cool. We've been playing like acoustic guitars and really mellow music. Like I just want to crank it up again and like be loud and crunchy. And, and, and the songs that we've always written, I felt, and we've kind of proven this with different records. Like the only difference between, in my opinion, between like kind of traditional old school country and punk rock is just distortion and, and tempo, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so we were just like, and, and we were playing even in that singer songwriter band, you know, we were, we were playing some Ambretta tunes. We just slowed them down a little bit and put a different instrumentation behind them and, um, you know, had fun with it. So we kind of got to a point where we were like, man, what if we just 
did a you know reunion show what if we just did something let's write a few songs um so the one thing i found though is that as we started trying to write new songs it it was really difficult not having done that it was like a muscle we hadn't flexed in a while okay, yeah, so yeah. i think there was there was this um at least for me like we were writing songs writing parts nonstop, like all the time but they just were never good enough i didn't think i don't think we collectively didn't think that they were very good i think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to up anything that we had to do better than what we had done before and like okay if we're going to do something because we were talking about if we're going to do this and we're going to be writing songs let's put out a record and that probably started around 2012 but it wasn't until 2018 that we we were like okay i think we we finally have exercised that muscle enough to feel comfortable with a few songs so what are we going to do um and so our thinking was let's reintroduce ourselves to a lot of people or however many people are interested. Um, let's, I didn't want to do like a best of record, but I definitely thought at this point we're better players. I can sing better. We, we know what we're doing in the studio better. What if we took our favorite songs from like a live show and just re-recorded them and we collected songs from every record we'd ever made. Um, and we put together, you know, a, something that we thought, represented the catalog or the history of the band and we just re-recorded them um but the idea was that would be the introduction and we would immediately go in and record a full-length new record now that again is where the pressure hit we're like okay we just finished this record old scars new blood um we started playing a few shows and a few more shows more than you know the five or six a year that we would play and um but again, I just, I kind of hit a wall and I was like, man, nothing we're writing is good enough. Like people are expecting something from us now, you know, it's, <laughs> and it just, it was so much pressure and so much self-induced stress. It, it took a while and then the pandemic hit. And so it was like, fuck, what do we do now? Like we can't get together, especially in the early days, you know, we were like, we All can't right. get together, we practice. Um, but I don't think I was, I think had the pandemic not happened and a lot of the like tension politically and socially that we were all kind of experiencing or that was being highlighted by the pandemic. Um, I don't think like, I just wasn't inspired. There wasn't anything I really wanted to say, or I, I hadn't felt like there was nothing I felt like I hadn't already said. Mm -hmm. And so I'd started when the pandemic hit, you know, there was a bunch of artists, bunch of bands doing like, um, like things on Instagram and social media, just doing like a song a day type of thing, just right. to keep engaged with people. And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll try to do that. Maybe I'll do, I'll do it for a week. And this kind of goes back to those, the goal question, right? I was like, you know, if I do this every day for a week, that's cool. Cause this pandemic isn't going to last. I was very much like everyone else thinking like right. a month from now, I'll be back to normal. Um, and so then I decided, okay, well, you know, it's nothing's, nothing's going anywhere. The pandemic's not over yet. So I, I kept it going for, I think I did 60 days. And at the end of that, I'd kind of revisited nearly every song that we had ever recorded. And a lot of them I was trying to do like the kind of my angle was I'm going to pick a song off whatever record and I'm, I'm going to do it live. I haven't played this song in 20 years probably. And I'm just going to wing it and see, see what happens. And um, so it was kind of revisiting a lot of things and, and playing and playing live, even though it was kind of the way we're at right now, just across a video screen. All right. Um, but it started just through social media. People started like, Oh man, I love that song. What do you, will you do this one next? And so this conversation started to happen. That was really natural, really That's organic. Cool. Yeah. And 
amidst all of this, I think it was like close to that day 60 mark where I was like, you know, like, I think I'm inspired. I think there's enough going on that I have something to say. And I sat down within like two weeks, I'd written almost 20 songs, a reflection of the time we were living in, in that moment. And, um, this is where, you know, this was very different than what I described earlier, where I said, like, we would bring ideas into a rehearsal space and we would practice them live. Um, we couldn't do that. So this is to your point. I had a laptop. I downloaded Pro Tools. I started recording sitting at my desk like I'm right here. Um, and then one of the other guys in the band has a studio in his house. So I was just sending him files and he would put like a fake drum loop to it to kind of help build the song and then I would pass that over to our drummer and he would listen and give ideas and we just started bouncing files around. So it was a very different dynamic. Yeah. Uh, and in, and these songs just started to kind of come to life in a way that d we didn't really expect, but there was like this momentum, this urgency, like this, this, uh, you know, just inspiration through all of it. And at that point the, in the pandemic, we were, we were like, okay, let's make this record. But, I don't want to be stressed out making this record. So we're just going to do it ourselves. We're going to go back to our roots. We're going to, we're going to do this ourselves. You know, again, we have a studio in house now, so we could just kind of yeah. go in a few of us at a time, or we could go in a few hours here, a few hours there. So it wasn't like two or three weeks consecutive, like just locked in a room for 20 hours a day, trying to make a record. Um, and we took our time and we tried new things in the studio. We referenced, you know, different, records that we liked different bands that we liked and instead of just coming like traditionally or typically we would have just like we're a live band let's do we're a four-piece band let's do you know four four instruments mm -hmm. you know um and and that's it and we're gonna sing and do our backups and it's just like a live record for that you know um from that point of view but we started listening to records i'm, I'm a huge fan of like listening to records and headphones and like hearing things even though i've heard the same song a thousand times Oh, I never noticed that right. texture in the background or that keyboard or that, that instrument that I, the band would never play live, whatever. And I was like, let's just try that. Let's push us, push ourselves a little bit. Um, so we had fun with the studio for the first time. I think we actually like used the studio as another instrument and um, came up with a record that I think at the end we were, we were all really excited by and really proud of. And it was very different than things that we had done in the past, but very much us, you know? And so that's where, that's where the album rise came from. Cool. Cool. Then one last thing here before I let you go, yeah. and that is uh, DCPC working with them for Like a Riot, the the live record. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So how did how did that come about? Um. So I'm trying to think. Um. Again, very organically, like that was um, when we started preparing for the new album to come out, uh, Rise. I started reengaging back on social media, getting all of our our catalog we owned all of our catalog now excuse me with uh with lookout ending several years ago mm -hmm. so we own our full catalog but for whatever reason i just kind of didn't do anything with it for many years so i started putting it all out there you know back on all the streaming services and um with that we decided okay well we've also got a pile of live records mm -hmm. and demo recordings and different things that we never released so to your point earlier, like we can just throw everything out there and if people want to hear it, cool. And uh, a lot of it at the, at one point I was like, I'm just willing to give it all away for free. Cause I, I don't need this as this isn't how I make money anymore. So like, I would rather people hear the music. Now everyone talked me out of it and, you know, so we're making a little bit of money off of it and charging people, whatever. But, um, but that really, so one of the live records that we recorded 
And again, kind of full circle. So we did a face-to-face was doing an acoustic tour in 2008 and they asked us to, to open up the show or do their main support. And so at that point I, I was like, we've done these acoustic shows as Ambretta before, but it's, it's pretty stripped down. And there's only, you know, the three or four of us doing it. Um, and I thought, you know, we had these other guys that would sit in with us when we did the singer songwriter stuff, we had piano players and pedal mm-hmm. steel players, and fiddle, you know, all these other instruments. Wouldn't it be cool if we brought that to this band? And so we did a full band acoustic show with pedal steel, with fiddle, with pianos and keyboards. And I think there was like six of us on the stage, you know, it was, it was awesome. Uh, it was so much fun and we decided to record it live and we mixed it and it sounded really great. So that was one of the things we put out is just kind of like bonus material. Um, and that's when, um, they reached out to us saying like, Hey, can we put out some of that live material that you just released? And, um, I didn't want to like, I personally was like, ah, I don't know if people are going to buy it. Like, I don't want you to spend your money on, you know, cause the offer was we'll put out all of your live material on a, di- you know, different records or like an A side, B side, something. And I was like, I was just like, man, I don't want you to spend money and have, have it backfire. You know, I would feel guilty. So we decided on the one record. That was one that I was really interested in getting out to people. And it was one that I was really interested in having on vinyl myself. Yeah. So I was like, let's do this one. I was like, but if you're going to put the record out, let me take on some of that burden too. Like let, let's do something a little more creative with it. So I was like, you know, there's a, I went to art school, you know? Um, so I was like, let me screen print the covers and let me do some hand painting. Like I'll hand paint all the covers. So they'll all yeah. be different. They'll all be That's unique. Cool. Again, yeah. going back to our DIY yeah. roots, right? Yeah. Like this is what we would do. This is what every band did you know, you screen print your own t-shirts and patches and such in the house. So I was like, I'll print the, the record covers. Uh, and, um, and you put out the record and I'll, I'll take, I'll take on that part and we'll do this collaboratively and it'll be really fun. And that's exactly what it was. Super cool, super fun. So now there's, you know, a small pressing, it's only like 200 records. Um, I think they're pretty close to sold out, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, really cool. So it was just very organic, you know, yeah. it was just something that reached out to us and it was like, yeah, let's do this. It'll be fun. They're, and, they're good guys over at DCPC live. Uh, so, so that's cool. And again, yeah. a little bit of, I don't know. I don't know. I hesitate to call it momentum, but you know, there's stuff happening again in, in Amberetta land, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's the irony here is when you're, when you're trying the least, sometimes <laughs> the, the biggest things and the most, you know, comes out of it. So yeah, we just came off a, a short run with Anti-Flag that wrapped up this weekend. Um, we're playing more shows this year, you know, still just a handful here and there, but, you know, we're going to wrap up the year at the Fest down in Gainesville. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, surprisingly enough, like, you know, radio has picked up one of the singles off the new record. And, um, you know, I, I get random reports, you know, we had like a top 10 record on the East coast on some college charts and, you know, number one or number top three single on some of the college charts. And we're just like, what the hell is going on? Like, we didn't, we didn't even try, like we didn't do anything. So it feels really good to know that like people are out there and there's still like an appetite yeah. for what we were doing 20 years ago. And maybe we're reaching a new audience too at the same time. So also it's been good, really cool. Good songs are good songs, Rob. That's also a I, big part. I of hope it. so. I think yeah. so. You know, and I think we've got at least a few that are, yeah. that are there, you know, but right. yeah, it's been really exciting just to reconnect with people and, you know, like I said, be introduced to a whole new audience, 
you know. Right on. Well, I want to thank Rob. Uh, I will drop all the links for Anne Beretta, of course. I'll drop the links for the live record com- uh, that's being put out by DCPC Live. Uh, Scott Pash uh, has been on the show. He's a, he's a good guy. Uh, you yeah, can check great. all that stuff out and go out and support uh, the old local bands like uh, like Ambretta and Rob. Uh, thanks very much for being on the show, Rob. It, it very much yeah, thank you for having me, Paul. Yeah. Appreciate it, man.